Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Unfair and Unbalanced, a podcast with Tom Fox and Roy Snell. Today we have a very special episode, the Retirement Edition. In this episode, Roy Snell announces his retirement as the CEO of the SCCE. He talks about the process by which the organization will go through to seek out his replacement. He talks about some of his plans going forward and he talks about the growth of the SCCE and the HCCA over uh, the past 15 or 20 years. He uh, gives us a retrospective of where the compliance profession has come since the enactment of the U.S. sentencing guidelines in 1992 and where he hopes to see compliance go in the future. It's really a fascinating episode. Uh, In the show notes, I link to information if you're interested in applying for the CEO position at the SCCE. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Unfair and Unbalanced. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with my good friend and colleague, Roy Snell, for another episode of Unfair and Unbalanced, a podcast on the compliance profession. Roy, um, you have some big news, so uh, I don't want to say I broke the news, but I'm certainly a part of it going forward. So why don't you tell our listeners what news you have? Well, Tom, uh, I've... uh we're going to be announcing uh, our re- my retirement here shortly, and the search for someone to uh, take our organization uh, through the next twenty years. Um, we have put together a secession planning committee of some great people, including uh, Debbie Troclus, Dan Roach, Gabe Imprado, and some others, and uh, we're. Uh, hired a recruiter. Uh, we're going to be uh, making the announcement shortly here, and um, we're going to spend about 60 days uh, looking for people to uh, apply for the job, and then 60 days interviewing, evaluating, and deciding, hopefully. Um, and um, we're going to uh, bring the person on as a deputy CEO for a year or so until somewhere around the spring of 19, uh, 2019 and give them a chance to uh, get their sea legs and uh, learn about the back room and all sorts of things that people don't get to see but are important to our success. Uh, I will be getting out, uh, retiring about March of 2020. I'll stick around for a year after they assume the title is the current plan. All of this is subject to change and help them in any way I can. But it it all seems to be pretty far in advance. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of associations like ours who have had as much as six months notice, which is an awful lot from their CEO. And it's just not enough time uh, to look for anyone, let alone bring them along carefully. Um, There's all kinds of horror stories about transitions that didn't go well, particularly for longtime executives and and um, people who follow them and uh, our 
you know, we, anybody who's followed us real closely knows we try to do a few things and do them extremely well. A few things we'll just beat to death that we feel are really important. And this is one of them. Um, we're really excited that we're very excited to, um, find somebody to get us through the next 15, 20 years or so. Uh, it's unlikely that the kind of person who got us this far from zero is the same kind of person to take us from where we are to where we need to be next. So we built a good foundation and, uh, looking to hand this off. And like I said, it's, it's it's a long term plan, but if you, if you look at most associations haven't had the opportunity to do this, their CEOs just don't give them enough time. Uh, a lot of them hurt. You know, they'll go through one or two or th- uh, maybe you know a couple CEOs right after the long term executive leaves. Um, it's not always the case, but it happens way too often. Uh, it's just too abrupt. It's too abrupt, and uh, I'm in a position where I can work with these uh, this board and uh, give them give them plenty of time, and uh, we'll adjust it along the way if need be to make sure we uh, do right by the organization. But um, yeah, that's kind of the plan, and uh, we're looking forward to. Uh, in uh, what kind of candidates uh, are out there. Roy, do you have uh, any type of, of potential candidate in your mind, meaning uh, someone from the nonprofit world, someone from a for-profit corporation, someone from the government, someone from private practice, or really uh, anybody that uh, kind of meets some basic minimums could throw their hat in the ring? Well, one, one of... Uh, the things that uh, some people may find hard to believe, but it's uh, very true. Uh, I've been in on all the meetings of the secession planning committee. We, we really don't have uh, uh, a specific candidate in mind uh, or even uh, a specific background or type. I, I would say a couple of things that are, really important is someone who is extremely fluent in the profession. There, there are two approaches associations take to get to, uh, get a CEO. One is an association executive, someone who is a journeyman that goes from one association to another and really knows how to run an association, but they don't really come from any of the professions that, uh, they are an association CEO for. Uh, then the other approach is to pluck somebody out of the profession so that they can speak for and about and to the, the profession that they're C- the CEO of and possibly even make better decisions because they, they understand the job because they've had it or worked in the field somewhere and we're definitely going to find someone who uh, is very fluent in in this profession and uh, familiar with the challenges of the job. Um, and there are probably, there are certainly many, many people that have that ability. 
and then or background and then out of out of that group i think the next most important thing is maybe equally important is some proven business acumen uh, because uh anybody who follows associations knows that you're either going forward or backward and some people really understand their profession and not exactly revenue and expense and all these sorts of things. Uh, that can be maybe a little problematic. We're, we're going to focus very hard on trying to find someone who understands uh, business and, and, uh, return on investment effort and time. And um, I think those are the two most important things is uh, being fluent in uh, the profession and uh, being, being able to help out uh, from a, from a business standpoint. You know, one of the things that I think that our listeners might be interested in is really the business of SCCE. Could you maybe describe the kind of parameters, the size, and really sure. the business part of it? Um, SCCE and HCCA in total are about 21 years old, um, and we now uh, are up to about 22 million a year in uh, revenue, um, which probably puts us mid-pack in all the association world. There's some that are bigger and many that are smaller. Um, we have uh, saved more than the national average of... Uh, Money, we, 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 reserves. We have more than uh, the, the goal of, of associations for the most part over the years has been one half of your annual expenses in reserve. And we're uh, more than that and uh, growing every year. And uh, frankly, we would like to get to one time annual expenses to be extra careful, but we've, I don't recall ever having to dip into the reserves and, uh, we've gone through some big challenges in terms of, uh, 2008 and frankly, nine 11 shut down a lot of travel. Um, we, uh, have, um, the main revenue sources would be membership, publications, uh, conferences, uh, these the sorts of things, and uh, we're looking to expand those. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll we just hired a new chief marketing officer, and shortly, uh, someone in the publishing platform uh, background and um, which leads me to another thing is that although we want someone with the ability to manage a business, so awful lot of revenue not to know anything about business, <laughs> but we have a really solid staff here now uh, after flailing away for all these years, we've got some strong people in finance and operations and 
we're making an offer here shortly for a guy in publications. Hopefully, we'll get him. And uh, we're now being able, we're now able to hire people with a greater degree of of experience. And when we were smaller, it was tougher to justify the salaries. Now we're getting into a salary range for some of these folks that were able to. get folks with many years of real solid experience. So um, I think that's it. You know, from a, from a business standpoint, things are growing. They've been growing forever. Uh, we're in pretty solid financial situation and uh, we're very excited about the idea of finding someone to come in with a whole bunch of uh, fresh ideas and, enthusiasm and get us get us through the next 20 years. Roy, you've mentioned that 20 years a couple of times, and uh, it seems to me that uh, the compliance profession really is on the on the cusp of, of some not only pretty dramatic changes, but even more dramatic growth. And the things that uh, the the things that you've been preaching basically for twenty years, um, as uh, as you so eloquently said, unless you were in a cave, um, <laughs> those things are really now part of the you know the public record. the The Department yeah. of Justice is talking about them. So the kind of the basic ideas of uh, of how to have an effective compliance program that you and many others have uh, been uh, preaching about and articulating and writing about and thinking about it, talking about it for a long time, have really been embraced by the government. And now the government has really taken uh, FCPA and broader anti-corruption enforcement uh, globally. So we've got really a global um, anti-corruption program. Uh, protocol of both enforcement and the solution, which is the best practices compliance program. And then going forward, though, I I see a lot of uh, potential use for compliance as a business process. I see potential for compliance to really be uh, in the the buzzword of the, the Department of Justice evaluation of corporate compliance documents operationalized. And I see compliance really becoming uh, the business is embracing compliance as a way to operate businesses more efficient, efficiently and at the end of the day more profitably. Would you see that as, as one of the kind of goals or where compliance might be going in the next 20 years? Yeah, I, I want to make two comments on things you've talked about, which I was just talking to somebody today where we're trying to find this. We, we hopefully found this publishing person who won't bring us up to date in the publishing field, but know exactly, know roughly where we're going to be in five or 10 years and get started now. Um, halfway through the hiring process, I told the recruiter, I kept telling him in the, in the beginning, we don't want somebody who's familiar with print, <laughs> print, Print isn't happening in publishing as much as it used to. We want somebody that understands these platforms and other approaches online. And then it dawned on me, well, if it, that profession is changing as much as ours, there, there are going to be people like Tom Fox in there who can see five, ten years down the road. And you just picked on two things I don't think people realize, and I don't talk about much because it's a little bit out there. And the first one was, is 
you know, 20 years back and 20 years forward. And, you know, we've, we've been on point for 20 years and, and helped, but there's, when you got an idea like compliance that is so brilliant, such an elegant, simple solution to a serious problem, um, there's going to be a lot of points. There's going to be a lot of folks out there, a lot of organizations, a lot of government agencies, a lot of countries who smack their forehead and say, this is, this is the right thing for, for our fixing our problems. And, and uh, I want to back up even further than that. Something you implied and is very true is this is, this is uh, I'd love to think we've helped a lot and I think we've helped a lot, but this is inevitable. There's no stopping this. It, it, this, this is a movement of people in countries all over the world saying, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put up with these regulatory and ethical missteps by companies or governments, frankly, and they're particularly on edge about corruption. And you and I have talked before about in Romania, they were going to back off a little bit on their corruption regulation and somewhere between 200,000 or a half a million, I don't know, a whole bunch of people went downtown and in, in, in the capital or wherever and they surrounded the building where they were going to make that decision that night and said, I don't think so. And I can't remember, there was another country where there were protests against corruption here recently. I, I know Brazil's, the, the folks there are pretty much headed up to their eyeballs and are calling for some solution. Well, yeah, I'd like to think we've, we've had it all figured out and we've made a big difference, but the, the, the things don't get this big all over the world without a thousand different organizations or people pushing the rock because they all think it's a great idea. And, um, and one other thing that you said is that the compliance is, uh, more is more effective at helping an organization than just preventing, finding and fixing ethical and regulatory issues. It's a great way to find quality issues, audit, monitor, investigate, report, um, educate, all the tools that are used by an effective compliance officer, including interpersonal skills and influence, can, can help many areas of the organization assess uh, problems and risks, even if they aren't legal or ethical risks. They have risk of... of downturn in revenue or something, you know, I mean, and quality is the best example. There, there are some regulations with regard to quality, but there's a lot of quality that is a choice. Companies can either produce products that last a year or 10 years and, and organizations who really want to go big in quality need to gather data, audit, monitor, investigate, educate, 
deal with the issues and uh, deal with them quickly. And um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. This this tool is uh, it's a simple, natural, elegant tool. And um, I don't know how much further beyond re- re- regulatory and ethical compliance it'll be used, but it could be used for other things. And uh, so I think you're right. Well, and frankly, Roy, that's what I see as one of the, the lasting legacies of the first generation of of compliance professionals such as yourself and some of the board members that uh, you named, I think uh, you took uh, the regulatory framework that was laid out in the uh, U.S. Sentencing Guidelines that came out in 1992, helped companies comply literally with the law, uh, starting in the healthcare and then moving into more uh, uh, more general business commercial operations. And from that experience, you were able to. Um, Utilize the skills which allowed compliance with a very specific regulation to broaden it out to other laws and now really think about it in terms of business process, but more importantly, business improvement. And and yeah. I'm excited to be a part of that uh, dialogue and outreach going forward because I think it's really going to help to transform corporate America and indeed corporations across the world, uh, as we spoke about earlier. Yeah, I, I, again, I'd love to think that SCCE and HCCA has it all going on, and we made a big, a big difference. But we didn't invent anything here. It, it was invented before we came around. We just stayed focused. I think that the only criticism that I would have of others who really can't claim to have helped as much is they just can't seem to know when enough is enough. And there have been a lot of complicators. I've literally written an article about complicators. I'm not even sure it's a word. It, it, it's just a group of people that can't believe or don't understand, can't believe compliance is as simple or don't understand what a compliance program is. And they're just off in the weeds and they're overcomplicating it and they're adding things on like uh, government relations and corporate social responsibility. And, uh, you know, they're just as distracted as the people who came before us. And the people who came before us were so distracted. A a profession at near C-suite level was born over a 20-year period almost out of nowhere and because people who came before us couldn't stay focused. And so it's one thing that we should get some credit for here is, is ignoring all the shiny objects that many people have drifted off into. And I'll be honest with you, and I don't really want to talk about it much, but the most recent one is politics, you know, that, uh, people seem to think that we should be uh, focused on what is the the next uh, current and former political environment and how that all affects it. I was a compliance officer for three years. Never once did I factor in politics when I went and found and fixed problems. I, I think that's the thing that we have done is we just keep coming back to the fundamentals. 
The reason our profession is here, the reason compliance programs were suggested by the sentencing guidelines is because we needed to prevent, find, and fix ethical and regulatory problems like Enron, WorldCom, Tyco, HealthSouth, BP, Wells Fargo, Penn State University, Madoff, and others. And all of this shiny object stuff has caused a lot of other folks to wander aimlessly and not do too well. And it's one thing we've done, and I hope we do for the next 20 years, is uh, keep keep exploring options, but don't forget the mission and don't forget the important stuff. Um, and uh, so that's that's what we're doing here. Is uh, I've I've been doing this for a long a long time, uh, this particular job, and um, and. Uh, we're going to take our time. We're going to uh, do a big search. We're going to be very open-minded. We're going to find someone to come and uh, take a year or so to get their sea legs and then take over the job. And I'll stick around a little bit to help on some special project and be available for the new CEO. But yeah, I, I tell you this, the best metaphor I can come up with that people are very much more familiar with than they are with associations is publicly traded companies. Um, we, we are not a publicly traded company. We're about as far as this thing from it, but we have something very much in common. We have members. They have shareholders. Now, they're motivated by totally different things, but it's basically a lot of people looking on who care? And when a long-term executive of any publicly traded company decides to move on, sometimes shareholders start wringing their hands. Analysts start wringing their hands. And uh, good publicly traded companies have a nice, long, smooth secession planning process and frankly, they're a little easier because they have 10,000 employees. We have 50, so we have to do it a little bit differently, but it affects us, um, makes it a little bit more challenging. But we're pulling not from our employees, but more from the membership, if you will, or the profession. And, and when they get it right, the company moves on relatively smoothly. When they get it wrong, there's chaos. And it's not a fair example, but John Stump left Wells Fargo abruptly and not very graciously. And Microsoft, on the other hand, did a pretty good job of it. Apple's not been bad. They've a little bumpy, but, you know, so... Uh, there are companies out there that really do a good job of this, and uh, then there are organizations that, you know, I guess they just don't have enough time. Associations really, it's, it's just, it's just a little more difficult for them to get this right. And the only way it's going to get done right is if the outgoing CEO gives them 
two, three years rather than six months to a year. Um, so. so, Roy, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if anybody wants uh, any uh, information about this, um, uh, if they want to take a look at perhaps throwing their hat in the ring, if they want to be considered, how would they, where would they go, and how would they find out information on it? Well, we have uh, some information coming out shortly here. Um, with links and uh, we have a website set up with a job description and a position summary and then an application in which we ask them to give us a little bit of information beyond their resume about their background. Uh, we've hired uh, a recruiter named Brian Bach. Um, what I would suggest is that um, they look for the email from us. It'll also be posted on my LinkedIn group. Um, we're going to try and plaster this all over the place with the links and such. I'd give them to you, but they're kind of long. Um, the simplest thing to do would be just call the office and ask if they could uh, get some help finding the web page. Once they get to that web page, they might even be able to find that themselves. The web page will be released uh, at uh, 1 Central on uh, tomorrow, which is uh, set the 13th? No, the 12th. Yeah, 13th. Tomorrow's the 20th. 20th. <laughs> On the 20th at 1 Central, there'll be uh, a web page released on our website that is full of this information. And uh, if they have any trouble at all, just call our office and and uh, they, they, should, uh, they should be able to find it. We're very interested in um, hearing from anyone that has any ideas um, and... Uh, I'm I'm very uh, certain that because we're taking the approach that we are, that we're going to find a very solid individual who's going to be able to uh, help us out here and help the profession out for, for years to come. Roy, um, we're at the end of our time, and I wanted to thank you for taking the time to share this uh, really important announcement uh, with us, and I uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you very much, Thomas. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unfair and Unbalanced, a podcast with Tom Fox and Roy Snell. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast. It would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only podcast which deals with the compliance profession. Also, Roy and I would love to hear from you. You can email Roy at rsnell at scce.org. You can email me at tomfox, tfox, tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, the Retirement Edition, and I hope you'll join Roy and I again for another episode of Unfair and Unbalanced. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.